Chapter thirty four of Donal Grant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devorah Allen. Donal Grant by George MacDonald. Chapter thirty four Cobbler and Castle. In the bosom of the family in which the elements seem most kindly mixed, there may yet lie some root of discord and disruption, upon which the foreign influence necessary to its appearance above ground has not yet come to operate. That things are quiet is no proof, only a hopeful sign of harmony. In a family of such poor accord as that at the castle, the peace might well at any moment be broken. Lord Forgue had been for some time on a visit to Edinburgh, had doubtless there been made much of, and had returned with a considerable development of haughtiness, and of that freedom which means subjugation to self, and freedom from the law of liberty. It is often when a man is least satisfied, not with himself, but with his immediate doings, that he is most ready to assert his superiority to the restraints he might formerly have grumbled against, but had not dared to dispute, and to claim from others such consideration as accords with a false idea of his personal standing. But for a while, Donal and he barely saw each other. Donal had no occasion to regard him, and Lord Forgue kept so much to himself that Davy made lamentation. Percy was not half so jolly as he used to be. For a fortnight, Eppy had not been to see her grandparents, and as the last week something had prevented Donal also from paying them his customary visit, the old people had naturally become uneasy. And one frosty twilight, when the last of the sunlight had turned to cold green in the west, Andrew Coleman appeared in the castle kitchen, asking to see Mistress Brooks. He was kindly received by the servants, among whom Eppy was not present, and Mrs. Brooks, who had a genuine respect for the cobbler, soon came to greet him. She told him she knew no reason why Eppy had not gone to inquire after them as usual. She would send for her, she said, and left the kitchen. Eppy was not at the moment to be found, but Donal, whom Mistress Brooks had gone herself to seek, went at once to the kitchen. "'Will you come out a bit, Andrew?' he said, "'if you're not tired. "'It's a fine night, and it's easy to talk in the gloaming.' "'Andrew consented with alacrity. "'On the side of the castle, away from the town, "'the descent was at first by a succession of terraces "'with steps from the one to the other, "'the terraces themselves being little flower-gardens. "'At the bottom of the last of these terraces, "'and parallel with them, was a double row of trees.' forming a long, narrow avenue between two doors and two walls at opposite ends of the castle. One of these led to some of the offices. The other admitted to a fruit garden, which turned the western shoulder of the hill, and found for the greater part a nearly southern exposure. At this time of the year it was a lonely enough place, and at this time of the day more than likely to be altogether deserted. Thither Donal would lead his friend. Going out, therefore, by the kitchen door, they went first into a stable-yard, from which descended steps to the castle well, on the level of the second terrace. Thence they arrived, by more steps, at the mews where in old times the hawks were kept, now rather ruinous, though not quite neglected. Here the one wall-door opened on the avenue, which led to the other. It was one of the pleasantest walks in immediate proximity to the castle. The first of the steely stars were shining through the naked rafters of leafless boughs overhead, as Donal and the cobbler stepped, gently talking, into the aisle of trees. The old man looked up, gazed for a moment in silence, and said, 
the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. I used when I was a lad to study astronomy a wee, in the hope of better hearing what the heavens declared about the glory of God. I would fain understand the speech one day cried across the night to the other. But I was sair disappointed. The things the astronomer tellt simple folk were very wonderful, but I couldna find it in my heart that they made me think any matter God nor I did afore. I didn't mean to say they might not be competent to work that in another, but it wasn't my experience of them. My heart was some sair at this, for you see, I was set upon winning into the presence of him I couldn't abide frae, and at that time I had not learnt to gang straight to him who is the express image of his person, but I sought him through the philosophy, eh, it was beardly philosophy, of the good books that dwell upon the nature of God and all that, and his hatred of sin and all that, part and part true, no doubt, but I wanted God great and near, and they made him out small, small and uncle far away. One night I was out by my sail upon the shore, just as the stars were teetin' out. And it was not as gin they were fear to the sun, and pleased that he was gone, but as gin they were teetin' out to see what had come of their father or lights. All at once I came to myself, like out of some blind delusion. Up I cast my ain a bon, and eh, there was the heaven as God made it. Awful. Big and deep. Aye, fathomless deep. And full of the wonderin' yet steady lights that nothing can blow out but the breath of his mouth. Away and up it goed, and deeper and deeper, and my ain gud travelling away and away, till it seemed as though they could never win back to me. All at once they dropped it for the lift like a laverock, and lighted upon the horizon, where the sea and the sky met like righteousness and peace kissing one another, as the psalm says. Now I cannot tell what it was, but just there where the earth and the sky came together was the meeting of my earthly soul with God's heavenly soul. There was bonny colours and bonny lights, and a bonny great star hanging o'er doll. But it was none of all those things. It was something deeper nor all, and higher nor all. For that moment I saw, not how the heavens declared the glory of God, but I saw them declaring it, and I want it no more. Astronomy for me might sit and wait for a better world, where folk didn't wear out their shoon, and other folk had not to mend them. For what is the great glory of God but that, though no man can comprehend him, he comes down, and lays his cheek till his man's, and says to him, Hey, my creature. While the cobbler was thus talking, they had gone the length of the avenue, and were within less than two trees of the door of the fruit garden, when it opened, and was hurriedly shut again. Not, however, before Donal had caught sight, as he believed, of the form of Eppy. He called her by name, and ran to the door, followed by Andrew, the same suspicion had struck both of them at once. Donal lifted the latch, and would have opened the door, but someone held it against him, and he heard the noise of an attempt to push the rusty bolt into the staple. He set his strength to it, and forced the door open. Lord Forgue was on the other side of it, and a little way off stood Eppie trembling. Donal turned away from his lordship, and said to the girl, "'Eppie, here's your grandfather come to see you.' The cobbler, however, went up to Lord Forgue. "'You are a young man, my lord,' he said, "'and may regard it as folly in an old man to interfere between you and your will. But I warn you, my lord, except you cease to carry yourself thus towards my granddaughter, his lordship, your father, shall be informed of the matter. Eppy, you come home with me.' "'I will not,' said Eppy, her voice trembling with passion, though which passion it were hard to say. "'I'm a free woman. I make my own living. I will not be treated like a child.' "'I will speak to Mistress Brooks,' said the old man, with sad dignity. "'And make her turn me away,' said Eppie.
she seemed quite changed, bold and determined, was probably relieved that she could no more play a false part. His lordship stood and said nothing. "'But don't you think, Grandfather,' continued Eppy, "'that whatever Mistress Brooks says or does, I'll go home with you. I've saved money, and as I can't get another place here when you've taken away my character, I'll leave the country.' His lordship advanced, and with strained composure said, "'I confess, Mr. Coman, things do look against us.' "'It is awkward you should have found us together, but you know,' and here he attempted a laugh, "'we are told not to judge by appearances.' "'We may be forced to act by them, though, my lord,' said Andrew. "'I should be sorry to judge either of you by them. "'Eppy must come home with me, or it will be more awkward yet for the both of you.' "'Oh, if you threaten us,' said Forgue contemptuously, "'then of course we are very frightened. "'But you had better beware. "'You will only make it the more difficult for me to do your granddaughter the justice I always intended.' "'What your lordship's notion of justice may be, I will not trouble you to explain,' said the old man. "'All I desire for the present is that she come home with me.' "'Let us leave the matter to Mistress Brooks,' said Forgue. "'I shall easily satisfy her that there is no occasion for any hurry. "'Believe me, you will only bring trouble on the innocent.' "'Then it cannot be on you, my lord, for in this thing you have not behaved as a gentleman ought,' said the cobbler. "'You dare tell me so!' cried Forgue striding up to the little old man, as if he would sweep him away with the very wind of his approach. "'Yes, for else how should I say it to another, and that may soon be necessary,' answered the cobbler. "'Didn't your lordship promise an end to the whole miserable affair?' "'I remember nothing of the sort.' "'You did, to me,' said Donal. "'Do hold your tongue, Grant, and don't make things worse. To you I can easily explain it. Besides, you have nothing to do with it now this good fellow has taken it up.' It is quite possible, besides, to break one's word to the ear and yet keep it to the sense. The only thing to justify that suggestion, said Donal, would be that you had married Eppie, or were about to marry her. Eppie would have spoken, but she only gave a little cry, for Forgo put his hand over her mouth. You hold your tongue, he said. You will only complicate matters. And there's another point, my lord, resumed Donal. You say I have nothing to do now with the affair. If not for my friend's sake, I have for my own. "'What do you mean?' "'That I am in the house a paid servant, "'and must not allow anything mischievous to go on in it "'without acquainting my master.' "'You acknowledge, Mr. Grant, "'that you are neither more nor less than a paid servant, "'but you mistake your duty as such. "'I shall be happy to explain it to you. "'You have nothing whatever to do with what goes on in the house. "'You have but to mind your work. "'I told you before you are my brother's tutor, not mine. "'To interfere with what I do is nothing less than a piece of damned impertinence.' "'That impertinence, however, I intend to be guilty of "'the moment I can get audience of your father. "'You will not, if I give you such explanation as satisfies you, "'I have done the girl no harm, and mean honestly by her,' "'Forgue said in a confident yet somewhat conciliatory tone. "'In any case,' returned Donal, "'you having once promised, and then broken your promise, "'I shall without fail tell your father all I know. "'And ruin her, and perhaps me too, for life?' "'The truth will ruin only those that ought to be ruined,' said Donal. Forgo sprang upon him, and struck him a heavy blow between the eyes. He had been having lessons in boxing while in Edinburgh, and had confidence in himself. It was a well-planted blow, and Donal unprepared for it. He staggered against the wall, and for a moment could neither see nor think. All he knew was that there was something or other he had to attend to. His lordship, excusing himself perhaps on the ground of necessity, there being a girl in the case, would have struck him again, but Andrew threw himself between, and received the blow for him. As Donal came to himself, he heard a groan from the ground, and looking, 
saw Andrew at his feet, and understood. "'Dear old man,' he said, "'he dared to strike you.' "'He didn't mean it,' returned Andrew feebly. "'Are you in an order, sir? "'He gave you a terrible one. "'You might have heard it across the street.' "'I shall be all right in a minute,' answered Donal, "'wiping the blood out of his eyes. "'I've a good hard head, thank God. "'But what has become of them?' "'You did not think you would be waiting to see us come to ourselves,' "'said the cobbler. "'With Donal's help and great difficulty, he rose, "'and they stood looking at each other through the starlight, "'bewildered and uncertain. "'The cobbler was the first to recover his wits. "'It's in no manner of use,' he said, "'to rouse the castle with hue and cry. "'What how we to say but that we found the two in the garden together? "'It would but raise a clash. "'The which, fable or fact, would do nothing for nobody. "'His lordship mun be looked kin, as you say. "'But will his lordship believe you, sir? "'I'm summon to mind the young man's away till his father already, "'to prejudice him again anything you may say.' "'That makes it the more necessary,' said Donal, "'that I should go at once to his lordship. "'He will fall out upon me for not having told him at once, "'but I must not mind that.' If I were not to tell him now, he would have a good case against me. They were already walking towards the house, the old man giving a groan now and then. He could not go in, he said. He would walk gently on, and Donal would overtake him. It was an hour and a half before Andrew got home, and Donal had not overtaken him. End of chapter 34